Are you all warm? Kind of cool out this morning, wasn't it? It was five below at our house. Uh, You know, I love it. I think that's the mistake God made with Carolyn and me. Uh, She loves hot weather with lots of sun. And the only thing that makes five below better to me is about two feet of snow. And so uh, every morning when I boot up my computer, it brings up the temperature at our house in Idaho. And so it's kind of cool up there. But this is temporary. So uh, we're glad you're here and that you're warm and that you're having a good time. Uh, don't forget, I want to mention also, don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer meeting here. And we invite every one of you, lots of things in our church to be praying about. So come and be a part of that. We'll just keep you an hour and we'll pray together and we'll have a good time with the Lord. I am, uh, you have your outline and I'm not going to make you work this morning again. I know some of you are saying, has he lost his mind? Uh, But I've given you an outline with everything filled in because I want to deal with something this morning that is a bit of a dilemma in Scripture. And um, I know that your outline has got a lot of material on it. So you can take it home and walk through it. You can follow me as we go through it. But at the same time, it looks a little squished because there's a lot of material there. And you'll see that I didn't put quite everything on. And I brought all of my notes with me this morning. So uh, I hope you brought your lunch. But the outline is something that I want you to follow me with this morning. Because this is a dilemma that becomes very important as we approach um, further into the Lord's Prayer. So uh, before we do that... Let's bow together and pray together. Our Father, we thank you today that uh, you have given to us the joy of being part of your kingdom. In a lot of ways, Father, we don't understand these things. And in a lot of other ways, Father, for some of us, they do make sense. And sometimes they are life-changing So in the process of this this morning, Father, help us to grab the idea that we are already living in the kingdom. And as we do that, Father, help us to look at our individual uh, lives and determine how our life can fit into that kingdom that you have on earth right now so we give it to you we ask you father to open our hearts and our minds so that clear understanding can be here in what actually is a bit of a complicated issue and the only thing that makes it complicated is our experience in life so father help us to see through that and to be able to see the truth here and we'll thank you in jesus name Amen. Many years ago, I 
I went on the board of a mission. It was um, a CBI, uh, Conservative Baptist International. Originally, the mission was called CBFMS, Conservative Baptist Foreign Mission Society. That was too long a handle. They changed it to CBI. Subsequent to that time, they've changed it to uh, World Venture now. And uh, I was on this mission board. When you go on this mission board, you are given a country or countries that you have to be responsible for, which means that you are aware of what's going on with the missionaries in that country, and you are aware of the political issues that are going on in that country. And I was given uh, Kenya. I've, I've come to love Kenya. One of the reasons is it has the largest animal reserve in the world. And uh, now I've not gone to Kenya. I'd be happy to go. But uh, uh, Kenya and I got along very well together. And there was a young man who came to know Christ in Kenya. His name was Vincent, uh, Vincent Muliwa Katuku. Vincent Muliwa Katuku. And uh, Vincent Katuku became uh, uh, a man who was in love with Jesus. He went to the University of Nairobi and he got a bachelor's degree. And in 1986, he, uh, he came to the University of Wyoming and uh, was going to get a master's degree and ultimately a doctoral degree from the University of Wyoming. And he tells the story that when he was in high school, he was taught that the letters AC mean alternating current. And uh, so when Vincent came to the United States with his family and he started school, he got this car and it had a button on the dash that said AC. And and he would have told you, I didn't dare touch that button. In fact, he tells the story about taking his family from Wyoming all the way to Portland, Oregon one summer. And when it was hot and uh, they fanned themselves in the car, they ran with the windows down. They did all kinds of things. Uh, and and uh, some weeks later, one of his fellow students and a colleague was in the car with him and she said why don't you turn on the air conditioner he said this car is not equipped with air conditioning and she reached over and pushed AC and uh, Vincent Muliwakatuku's life changed <laughs> and he has become he is in Boise, Idaho now he uh uh, is out of Boise, Idaho, and he runs a company that does motivational stuff for corporations and individuals and making them more productive. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful fellow. You can go online and, and find a lot of his stuff. In fact, you can go online and find this story. This concept today is one of those concepts that did that for me when when I learned it. And I didn't learn it. Till I was in seminary. But the fact is, there is a dilemma in Scripture, and uh, we want to talk a little bit today 
about Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. When we are instructed by Jesus to pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as your will is done in heaven. Now, we tend to pray that prayer pretty easily, don't we? We tend to let it flow right off our lips with no problem at all. But the fact is, it would do us well to ask ourselves if that's really something we want to pray for. And when I pray that prayer, the thing that comes into my mind are the people in my life who are not yet Christians. Those people who have not turned their lives over to Jesus yet. And if I'm going to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, those people are in jeopardy. Also, if I'm going to pray that God's will be done on earth as God's will is done in heaven, there may be a few of us in the room who would have to change some of our activity. We might have to change some of the ways we think. We might have to change out some of our friends. Uh, We might have to think through what our attitudes are from time to time. See, if God's will is going to come into the earth as God's will exists in heaven, lots and lots of things have to change. And it's a little bit scary to think about praying that prayer. So here is our dilemma. Our dilemma is... That on the one hand, and we'll talk about this in more detail later, Jesus says the kingdom is here. And on the other hand, he says, pray that the kingdom comes. Now, did Jesus not quite know what was up? Or did he not really understand what was happening? And the critics will sometimes say to us, see, even Jesus didn't know what he was doing. You guys uh, who, who believe this Bible is the inspired word of God, it's got lots of contradictions in it. And here is one of them. So we want to talk about the present age, which is the age in which we live right now, and the age to come which is going to be a future time in the history of mankind. The Jews believed that one had to end before the next one could begin. You have to understand that. You have to understand that the the Jewish concept of history was that you couldn't enter one age until the other one was over. And so they always looked for, they always looked for keys or signs that were going to end one age and start up the other one. So the present age we live in, I want to tell you, 
is not a very pleasant place. It's characterized by death. I mean, all you have to do is look around you. Just last night, while we were sleeping, another American was beheaded. It's characterized by suffering. All you have to do is look around you and find people who suffer, it appears, unjustly. Children who die. Uh, It's characterized by dishonesty. Hello. And that involves you and me, not a little bit, because sometimes we tend to stretch the truth a little bit. It's characterized by pain and agony. In other words, in those immortal words by that great theologian, Alexander, it is just basically a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And even if you move to Australia, it's still the same. So the present age, the age that you and I live in, is an age... That is really pretty disgusting in a lot of ways. But the Bible talks about the age to come. And uh, there are some phrases in the Bible that are keys. They're triggers for us to know when it's talking about that age. Here's some of them. Uh, The words, in those days. Or in the latter days. Or in that day, uh, a special one in the mind of the Apostle Paul, and one that he uses frequently is the day of the Lord. And throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of references to this particular time in history. We are going to look briefly this morning at ten Old Testament passages and eight New Testament passages that are going to help us understand a little bit this dilemma of on the one hand, Jesus says the kingdom is here, and on the other hand, he tells us to pray that the kingdom comes. So let's start. And we'll start by saying, Here are some of the characteristics of that age to come. And the first one is in Isaiah chapter 2. The age to come is a time when that will bring peace. It's a time where there will be peace on the planet. And it says, now it will come about in the last days. There's our trigger. See, in the last days... The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for all peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again Will they learn war? In other words, there is going to be peace. Weapons that were initially used for war are now going to be made into weapons that are used for agriculture. 
And as a result, this period of time, the age to come, will be a time of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, <coughs> many of you know this passage. The age to come is a time that will bring justice. That will bring justice. It says in verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And because of space, I didn't give you verse 7. But listen to what verse 7 says. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. Or the throne on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So this age to come is going to be peaceful. There's going to be justice. There's going to be righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 11, the age to come is a time that will bring peace in the animal kingdom. In other words, there's a point at which the curse will not be applied to this age. The curse will be lifted. In verse 6, it says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Notice the words, a boy will lead them. So this is a reference. The boy leading these dangerous animals is a, a statement to mean there's no more terror. There's no more fright. There's no more danger. Again, I didn't give you verse 7, but listen. A little boy will lead them. Also, a cow and a bear will graze. Do you hear that? A bear is going to eat grass. Their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like the ox. See, everything has changed. The curse is lifted. Animals are going to function differently. They're all going to once again become vegetarians in that new age. And then Isaiah chapter 25. The age to come is a time when there will be no death. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to die in this particular age that we're talking about, the age to come. In verses 7 and 8, it says, And on this mountain... He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. Circle those words. The covering which is over all peoples. And that is a reference to the shroud. You've heard of the shroud of Turin. Uh, the reason it's called the shroud of Turin is because it is stored in a cathedral in the, in the city of Turin in northern Italy. And uh, uh, it, it is believed by some to be the wrapping that Jesus was in. And in the Jewish culture, they wrapped every dead body in a shroud. That covering is going to be gone. And the reference to that is telling us there's no more death. Death is going to be out of here. Even the veil 
which is stretched over all nations. It's applied to everybody. See, you've heard the old saying, there's two things we all have to do, pay taxes and die. And uh, the fact is, there's only one thing we all have to do, and that's die. Some of us can get away without paying taxes, I think. Uh, And the Lord will wipe away tears from all the faces, and he will remove the reproach of the people from all the earth. There will be no death. And I might add, I didn't put it in your text, but at the end of this, it says, uh, this is Yahweh speaking. Yahweh has spoken. In other words, the promise of this future age where there will be no death is based upon all of the character of God himself. And then we come to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. The age to come is a time when the Holy Spirit will live in God's people. Now that's interesting, isn't it? The Holy Spirit will live in God's people. Guess what? You and I have the Holy Spirit living in us. The the text says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside of people. The Holy Spirit came and went. Remember when they built the tabernacle? The Bible tells us the Spirit came down upon certain artisans. And those artisans were able to produce the equipment and the furniture necessary for the tabernacle. And when they had done so, the Spirit was taken from them. Remember in Psalm 51, when David is asking for forgiveness from God, he says, Father, God, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew that the Holy Spirit could be taken away from him. And that's the way it was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the church age, in the age in which you and I live, the Spirit is here. He lives inside of me. If you're born again today, he lives inside of you. And as a result, the uh, the, the, the age to come is going to be an age when the Holy Spirit lives in us. You see that also in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it will come after this, that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See that? That's our trigger. In those days. This passage is the passage that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost when the spirit came down on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, we find out, that in the age to come, the time, it will be a time of the overthrow of all human governments. All human governments. Verse 44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. 
Now, he's talking here. I'll just fly over this. But he's talking here about that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Remember, there were four kingdoms. And then this stone rises up and smashes them all. That's what this is. That's what he's talking about here. A kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. And it will itself endure forever. This is a kingdom that will be established by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Zechariah chapter 14 Verse 9, the age to come will be a time when the Lord will be king over the whole earth, over all the earth. And and let me point out, I want you to see how Zechariah uses our trigger points. In verse 1, he says, a day is coming. In verse 4, he says, and in that day. In verse 6, he says, in that day. In verse 7, he tells us, that the day will be a unique day. In verse 8, he says again, in that day. And in verse 9, he says, and the Lord, that is Yahweh, will be king over all the earth. In that day, there's our trigger, in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name is the only one. See, the Jews believed There would be a king one day over Israel that God had promised. This is one of those promises. They so believed it that in fact it became very political with them. Some of them might have believed that Jesus was that king and they expected him to step in to... uh, to step in and overthrow the Roman government. In fact, some theologians believe that Judas thought he was forcing the hand of Jesus when, when he betrayed Jesus to make Jesus sit up and then take control and overthrow the Roman government. Uh, they were called zealots in Israel. And as a result... This here, the Lord, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. This is the answer to our prayer, thy kingdom come. This is the answer to our prayer. In Isaiah chapter 26, uh, the age to come will be characterized by resurrections. Resurrections. Your dead will live. Isaiah said, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn. The word dew is a word which implies something fresh, something new. And this new, fresh thing that Isaiah is talking about, is resurrection in the day in the kingdom to come and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits daniel chapter 12 verse 2 again about resurrection and many of those who sleep in the dust 
of the ground will awake. Let me tell you what's happening in in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 23. Remember, that's the record of Lazarus dying. Lazarus was very special to Jesus. Um, In fact, this is the only passage where we read that Jesus cried, Jesus wept. Um, And uh, Lazarus gets sick and he dies. And by the time Jesus gets there, I might add, he is good and dead. He is four days dead. Uh, the ladies tell him, tell Jesus he already stinks in the tomb. And uh, so Jesus is talking to Martha. And Jesus says, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will raise, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See that? Jews believed in the resurrection. The Old Testament taught it in many passages, not just a few we've looked at today. They believed there was a kingdom coming, a time coming when there would be resurrections. There were only a few Jews that didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why we're, that's why they were sad, you see. So um, you you learn how to remember things like this. See, uh, uh, but most Jews, most Jews believed that there would be a resurrection, and this is a perfect example. Example: Martha says, "I know he's going to raise from the dead." Now I want to tell you that when we identify This coming age, what we are talking about is the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ or the thousand-year reign. Let me explain very carefully that the thousand-year reign, the millennium, is a literal reign of Jesus Christ. It is not spiritual. It is not allegorical. It is not mythical. It will be a literal thousand years, and all of these passages refer to that. Now, let me explain that there are a couple of reasons for this thousand-year reign. One is to fulfill prophecy that, that Israel's Messiah would rule over Israel. But there's another one, and I want you to see it. It's, it becomes very important. In this thousand years, there will be a perfect king. Nobody on the planet would be better chosen to rule during that time than than Jesus Christ, God's son. The curse will be lifted. We've already shown that. The curse will be lifted. Nobody will die. People will live for a thousand years. Nobody will die. Only believers will enter into the millennium. 
all of the unbelievers at the beginning of the millennium will be removed. We learn that in Matthew chapter 24. They'll all be taken out. Only believers will enter into the millennium. And there will be absolute peace. Jesus will rule with an iron hand. There will be absolute peace. Now that's about as good as it gets. Oh, one more thing. The devil will be bound up for that thousand years. And all of his demons will be bound up for that thousand years. So the people who sinned during that time won't be able to say the devil made me do it. It's going to be ideal environment. Yet, yet at the end of a thousand years, the devil will be released and he'll be able to go out and gather a great army against Jesus. And what is the reason for it? The reason for the millennial kingdom is to show man once and for all that given the best environment, he still will turn out bad. He still will choose the wrong thing. And when we talk about the age to come, this is what we're talking about. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we are talking about. So thy kingdom come. Let me just briefly explain. Jesus said the kingdom is here. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. In Luke 11, remember that's where they said, Hey, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. They, they said, Beelzebub, which is a, a name for the devil. And he said this, if I cast out demons by the finger of God instead, then the kingdom of God is upon you. It's here, he says. In Luke chapter 17, he said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's where in verse 20, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, when is the kingdom coming? See, even they believed. In the age to come, the kingdom ahead. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And that's our dilemma. There's thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. You read in Matthew chapter 25 and Luke 19, Jesus describes the kingdom as coming in the parable of the talents. If the kingdom was here, why did he need a parable to explain that it was coming? If the kingdom is here, why would he instruct the disciples to pray that the kingdom come? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses the phrase of Zechariah for the kingdom coming on that day. And that's where he says, on that day, many of you will come to me and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we feed the poor in your name? And et cetera, et cetera. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Thy kingdom come. Why did the disciples ask Jesus in Acts 6, I'm sorry, Acts 1, remember Jesus is walking with the disciples, they're looking over the temple and the beauty of the temple, and they said, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? You know why they ask it? Because he had just said in the verse before that, in verse 20, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, in verse 5, he had just said, 
you have seen John the Baptist baptize you in water. He said, in not too many days, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. They had seen resurrections. They are getting the Holy Spirit. And they're saying, whoa, wait a minute, we're confused. Does that mean the kingdom is coming? Only, so how do you reckon, reconcile those two, that dilemma? Only a theologian could give you a statement to define it that you wouldn't be able to understand. And the theologians say this, the kingdom is in the already, but not yet. <laughs> Don't you love it? The kingdom is in the already, but not yet. Let me put it in a way that you can understand a little better. Our lives, us in this room, span two kingdoms. Listen, listen. Let me put it simpler than that. You live in two kingdoms. The Old Testament people didn't do that. God dealt with them completely differently. He spoke to them individually and audibly. God doesn't do that anymore. Well, maybe he does to some of you. And we worry about you a little bit. <laughs> you and I live in the present age and the age to come. We are invited to live up to the standards of the age to come in the present age. Grab that. Hook on to that. What does that mean? It's confusing. Because I'm risen with Jesus Christ, yet I need armor. What's the deal with that? I'm a saint. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. I'm glorified. But still, the Bible tells me I should confess my sins. What's the deal with that? I'll tell you what the deal is. On the one hand, I'm in the kingdom to come. And on the other hand, I'm in the present age. See, you have two natures. And they're constantly pulling at each other because one lives in the present age and the other one lives in the age to come. We are in the church, the unconquerable bride of Christ, but each of us is still sinful, petty, and very human. All at the same time. We are in both kingdoms and it's hard for us to understand what that means for us how should it affect us well in the way I live or the way we live we have to choose which kingdom we're going to live in today when you get out of bed tomorrow morning and you drop your feet to the floor 
Ask yourself, which kingdom am I going to live in today? Let me watch you all day long, and I'll tell you which kingdom. Tomorrow night, I'll tell you which kingdom you lived in. So will the rest of the world, I might add. How I pray determines what kingdom I'm in. See, if I'm praying that God would give me a new car, or I'm praying that a good friend of mine would receive Jesus, there's two kingdoms there. How I view church. We're in transition here. Uh, at Northwest Hills. Listen, we need every one of you, every, every ounce of energy you have to pray and work and give and minister at this point because we're in transition. How I view government. How I celebrate. When Pastor Paul leads us, how we sing, how we celebrate is all depending on what kingdom we are in. And I'm telling you, you're in both of them. It's a little bit like this. Carolyn and I go to Wenco. Wenco takes up acres. And I get a cart that has a bad front wheel on it. You've been there, haven't you? And I'm pushing that cart. And I can tell you the reason that you feel ridiculous pushing that cart is because you look quite ridiculous. And the more you put on it, the more ridiculous you look. And after a little while, you're pushing, and it's all you can do to make it go the direction you want it to go. That's really what this is about. The more I pour onto my life, the harder it is to get that cart going in the direction it needs to go in the kingdom to come, not the present kingdom. And then I come up. Carolyn says, we need this case of bottled water. I say, not today. (laughs) But here's the beauty of it. You and I will unload the cart one day. You get that? We unload the cart one day, and the only thing left is the kingdom to come. But in the meantime, how we live, how we think, how we act, who our friends are, and all of the rest of that should be dictated by which kingdom we are in that day. So it would not be out of line for all of us at the beginning of every day to say, God, I want to live in your kingdom today. I know I'm in the other kingdom, and there will be some things that will come into my life out of that kingdom, but God, keep me on track in your kingdom today. That's why Jesus can say the kingdom is here. 
but pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I would only ask you to keep us in your kingdom. And in the process of that, make of us ministers in every situation and in every case so that we best honor you. Thank you, Father, for life-changing truth. And this could be one of them. It helps us understand why we are pulled this way and that. So, Father, we pray today that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth in our, in our lives, in our mind, in our heart, as it is in heaven. We ask it in the king's name, Jesus. Amen.